0: how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Mark 8, verses 11 through 21.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. How you guys doing? My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here and get the opportunity to continue us on in our series in Mark. Uh, Just awesome. I love that. Mason, one of our students, reading scripture for us. Uh, That's one of the things I've really enjoyed about the last, you know, couple months since we've been meeting. Other people coming up, reading God's word, participating in these mornings, you know. I feel like that's what church is about. It's not about uh, the... Professionals, quote unquote, uh, coming up and doing things or performing things, but people just sharing in God's word together, and it's a really cool thing. Um, I love the series we just came out of in the summer, our Connect series, and and one thing I want to encourage you guys with too is those were very like topical and focus so i encourage you if there was something that you missed or something that struck you to go back and watch those videos because it was videos where we got to see into the lives and ministries of other people and if i've learned one thing it's that ministry is always done in the context of relationships and relationships are developed through hearing and sharing of our stories and so it was just a beautiful series that we got to see that and a lot of things came from that and uh, one other thing in the last couple of years that I've just realized and I've found a ton of importance in is the importance of putting the gospel in front of us over and over and over again, that, that we are in such desperate need of, of focusing on the thing that is of most importance And that's why I'm really excited to get back into Mark and just to follow the life of Jesus and learn from what he did and what he was about and the things that really hurt his heart and the things that brought him joy, right? Like we get to see into the characteristic of God through this. And last week we heard... Another story about Jesus feeding the multitude, right? And the cool thing about this week is we get to hear him use those examples that he just had with his disciples and, and, and use them to, to give some clarity, to give some teaching, and that's what we get to do today. And there's two stories, and these stories actually seem a little bit rough. They kind of seem almost like harsh when you hear them, uh, and they almost seem like forced in there. But Mark decided to put these stories together together. And have this progression. So I think that there's some intentionality with that. And, and we want to use that as we have an understanding um, of this passage we're going through. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 11. Normally I would read through the whole thing, but Mason was awesome and he did that for us. So uh, we're just going to jump right in. In verse 11 it says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So we have this scene and the scene opens and and Jesus had just fed a bunch of people again and the Pharisees seek him out and they seek him out for a purpose and their purpose in seeking him out was to argue with him. And this is really important to this passage. For one, if you don't know, Pharisees, sometimes if you've been in church for a while, Pharisees are like the, the, the villain, right? They're kind of these slimy little guys with slicked back hair and they're like running around trying to get Jesus. Um, that's kind of what it feels like for the Pharisees. But back in that time, the Pharisees were... The elite, they held high status. They were a group of people that devoted everything in their life to following God's law and to knowing God's word. And that was a good thing. And now we have the context of how Jesus interacted with religious leaders, but but that's how they were viewed. And and we see the situation where the Pharisees come and they want to argue with Jesus. And I remember when I was in college, Bible college, and being the young adult a uh, guy that I am surrounded by a bunch of other young adults in Bible college, there was a lot of arguing. There was a lot of people who maybe thought they knew a little bit more than they did, including me. And so there would be debating, there would be arguing. And one thing that frustrated me is I saw over and over conversations had to where no one came to conclusion, to where no one moved their, th- it was just a debate, right? It was like verbal wrestling, like you're just trying to submit the other person and show that you're smarter. And I actually made a clarification to my peers at that time. I was like, hey, I'll discuss anything you want. But I won't. the moment it turns into a debate, I'm out. Because I can't. It becomes pointless at that time. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. And that's really important in when we read these next verses and understanding what Jesus' response was. In verse 12, it said, And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat and went to the other side. So we see Jesus, and, and he's confronted with these Pharisees who's, who want to argue with him. And, and it creates this deep sigh. And when I first read it, I thought the sigh was like this, like, you know, that kind of frustrated sigh. But the more, that I re- the more that I read it and the more that I understood, I realized it was actually a deep sadness, That these people who devoted their life to God's word, who understood that there was a Messiah to come, who were waiting for all of those things to come together, were standing in front of him and he realized they were missing it. They were missing it because they had another agenda and that other agenda was to prove themselves right by proving Jesus wrong. That their deepest desire was to was to prove their status was to was to prove that they were worthy of the things that they, the status that they held, and they were going to Jesus to prove that by making him prove himself. And so Jesus, with a heavy heart, realizes even if he did show a sign, which by the way, he just fed a bunch of people and that wasn't good enough. So he's like, obviously, you guys aren't getting it. Um, instead of giving them a sign, he realizes that you know what, I. Signs and miracles are for giving God glory and you're not seeking to hear, right? The reason I wouldn't debate with people is because when you debate, your goal is to win. Your goal is to prove yourself right and the other person wrong. When you have a discussion, your goal is to learn. It's to receive maybe from what other people are saying. It's to say, you know, I think, I have reasons to think for what I do, but maybe there's something I'm missing and I'm open to that. And because they were in the posture of arguing, Jesus knew that even if he gave them what they were asking for, that it wouldn't be received. And that's a really heavy thing. And it brings up this question. And this is a tough question. I ask it not of you. I ask it of myself and all of us collectively as a church. Is it our desire to know Jesus or to be right? Is it our desire to know Jesus or to be right? And get practical with this. If there's someone who says something that frustrates you or offends you, something that you see that that irritates you and irks you, or something that comes up against our faith and our religion, is your frustration in the fact that you want to be right or is it that you want to know Jesus? And if you ask yourself that question, it will change how you respond. And I think that's what Jesus is getting to. It goes on in verse 14, we get back to the disciples and it says, now they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, so this is Jesus, he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So again, whoever the planning person is for these disciples needs to get on it because they forget bread all the time. So they forgot bread and they get in the boat and, and I was reading commentaries and one of the commentaries actually said that you know, he, they thought that this was like bickering. Like they were trying to blame each other, figure out who was supposed to bring the bread. And, and I like that. So we'll go with that because it's a fun little picture to paint. Um, but they forgot bread and they were talking amongst themselves. And then Jesus gives them a warning. His warning that he gives them is, hey, be, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And what that means, so leaven, leaven's the thing that makes the little crispy flat bread turn into the fluffy nice bread that we all actually like, right? Like, leaven grows the bread like that. And, And it was an analogy used in that time, not just in Jewish, like, culture, but in all culture, that when you use leaven, it was in the negative. When you were talking about the leaven of something getting, it was talking about something infecting in a bad way, a culture, an idea, a group of people. So it was a negative thing. And so Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. What he's saying is, beware of the way in which they're living their life. And beware of Herod. Herod's goal was a throne. He wanted to attain and sustain power, right? That's what Herod wanted to do. And and, and with the Pharisees, their desire was was to, in every way they could, guard their life and be perfect on with God's law. To make sure they were right in everything that they did. And the problem with that, the problem with um, living a life like that is that if you live a life like that, you have to live a life of fear because your foundation is built on what you bring to the table. And we all know that that's limited. So we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. So Jesus does this. He says this to them. And we go on in the story in verse 16. It says, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread, and Jesus, aware of this, said, why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? So I picture it like this, right? Jesus just had a tough interaction. The disciples are like, we forgot bread. You forgot bread. Who's supposed to bring in bread? And they're like freaking out. And then Jesus comes in, guys, can I just tell you something? There's a way in which people are living, and it's not healthy. It's not good. I don't want this for you. And the disciples are like, oh, yeah, cool, good stuff, Jesus. Always, you're bringing good stuff. And Jesus walks away, and they're like, but what are we going to do about the bread? (laughs) Like, right? So they totally— miss it because they're distracted and they're worried about the immediate situation that they find themselves in. They miss Jesus. They miss his direction. They miss his guidance. And again, I ask us a question. How many times does that define our life? How many times does that define how we interact? That the worries of the day, the stuff that's coming up is so overwhelming that maybe we miss the reality of the presence of God, or we miss a teaching of God. And, and, and it's this hard thing, but luckily we have Jesus, and, and we get to hear a little bit more in verse uh, the second part of verse 7. It says, do you not yet understand? Are, you not, are your hearts hardened? And we see Jesus kind of rebuking his disciples at this point, but I want to caution us with something. A lot of the time when we come to God's word, we come to God's word, uh, in in kind of the format of of condemnation, right? I I would guess that there's some of you that are out there that don't really pursue reading God's word because you don't really want to pick up a book that's going to tell you you're terrible, right? Like you're like I already know it, God. I don't need it like on pages. That hurts. Right? So I mean, it's not the whole thing, but if you're honest, that's part of it. And 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 the reason is, is because with culture and Christianity and religion, we've created a context in which we we approach scripture as a book of condemnation. When if you look at the grand narrative of scripture, the grand narrative of scripture is one of redemption. It's God pursuing relentlessly his people and, and over and over and ultimately giving everything to that end. And we need to do that, because as we go in this, where Jesus is correcting his disciples, I mean, he's leaving soon, so he needs them to get it, right? There's a part of that, too. But let's maybe just afford some of that grace to this passage and not read it in the sense of putting ourselves in the story, all the things that Jesus is saying to the disciples were, were all those negative things, too. But if we read it through a lens of redemption, we see in verse 18, it says, Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And, oh, sorry, wind. And do you not remember? So we see in this passage, he gives some, some specific things that he's saying to them. And we could easily be like, oh man, I know I've seen God, I know I've heard God. And, and I remember times of that, but I just, it doesn't work. It doesn't come to the forefront of my mind and we can beat ourselves up. But in his rebuke, in his correction of the disciples, he's actually giving us direction. He's saying, you have tools here. You have resources. I haven't left you out in the wild by yourself. I've shown up. You've seen it with your eyes. And, and so what he's saying is instead of sitting in the posture and, and reaching back into our past and reaching back into our reality and whatever lens we want to put on this, whether it's we deserve what we're getting because of the things that we've done or haven't done or maybe it's whether we're, again, a victim of other people treating us. And whatever, whatever narrative we want to write, what he's saying is that there's another way to do it because now we have two examples. We have the fear that comes from Herod and the Pharisees and having to prove yourself to be Right? And then also we have the worry and the doubt and the distraction of the disciples. And if I'm honest, I fall in the second all the time. I'm a super warrior. And having kids has like made it. A thousand. Like they can stand on a pillow in the middle of the room. I'm, they're going to die. They're going to fall over and die. I'm pretty sure. And like, it's, you know, I walk away or I turn around. I'm like, they're probably on top of the shelf right now. And I can't see them. And it's, you know, I'm such a, I think the worst thing all the time, it's terrible. Um, I always think worst case scenario. And I worry. And if I'm honest with, like, our culture, right, with church, if we're being family, if we're being honest, worry isn't really okay in church. Because scripture tells us, hey, don't worry. So we actually almost equate worry and anxiety and all of these things with a lack of faith or a lack of trust in God or at the very least a lack of effort. Like, you just, if you're worrying, you just didn't do enough. So maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe it's an indictment on, on my faith, on my walk with Christ. Or maybe it's a reality that Jesus is speaking into to to these men who have seen every miracle that he's done, who have heard every teaching that he has given and still are struggling. And so we have this. He says, here, so instead of reaching back and, and grabbing those things, he's like, reach back and grab a picture of when you saw me show up. Hear my words. Maybe it was a message. Maybe it was a podcast. Maybe it was... Um, Just an encouragement that someone gave you. When you were a teenager, I've told you guys a couple weeks ago that the reason that I'm here is there was people who weren't my family who said, hey, Josh, I think you have a gift. And it changed my entire life, an affirmation from people who were listening to God and giving that to, maybe it's that. Maybe it's remembering. He says, remember. Maybe it's remembering a time where you felt taken care of. Where you truly felt like you were seen, you were known, you were heard, and thereby you were loved. And in the craziness of everything, remembering that and bringing that to the forefront of your mind. But I want to be clear with something. If you do this, it's not going to result in everything being okay. This isn't, you know, a list, another checklist of things that if you do, you're good. And everything will be fine. You won't experience these things. But what I'm saying is that you have a choice. And Jesus knows that the easy way to go about it is to, is to try to take control, right? Prove yourself. You know, if you're struggling in your faith, it's cool. I'll just do all the Christian things I know I'm supposed to do and it will be fine, you know? And, and none of those things are bad. Those things are good and they're tools we have too. But you go into that mode. Or maybe it's, I'm just overwhelmed by everything that's going on. I got worry in my life. What he's saying is he has more for you. He has other ways to live in the difficulty in a world that's broken with broken people in it that there's an other mode to walk in and that's what he's encouraging them with. And he does that with two stories, two stories that make one point. Starting in verse 19, it says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. So what God's proclaiming to his disciples that are distracted, that are living in a mode that he knows isn't the mode that he has for them, in the context of these Pharisees and Herod and these people who are trying to just make their way by their own efforts in this world and prove themselves themselves. That in that context, he tells them stories that point to one truth. And that truth is that God is a God that takes scarcity and makes abundance. That Jesus is a God that takes scarcity, takes when you're at the end of your rope, when you don't have much more to give and makes abundance, when you don't have anything to eat. Hey, you guys, you've seen it. I've fed a lot of people, right? Like He, makes, he doesn't just fill the need. He makes abundance. And I saw that this week. This week was a really tough week for me, and I shared um, with Melody and Grant finally on Thursday. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, But Monday, it started Monday, and it was just one of those days, and we were at home with the kids, and I don't know if it was before or after dinner, and Lindsay was like, Josh, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, I didn't know anything was wrong. But you know, like, your wife knows you really well, so I was like, wait, maybe something is wrong, but because obviously I'm acting different. And so I was like, yeah, and I don't know. I just feel off. I feel heavy or whatever. And then Tuesday kind of trudged along, and it was fine, but it wasn't great. And then Wednesday morning was, like, really rough, and I was coming to the office in the afternoon because we have a youth group at night. And I come in, and I walk into Melody's office, and Melody and Grant are in there. And before I walked through the door, I had to amp myself up. I was so, like, at the – I couldn't interact with people and if you know me, I'm, like, an extrovert. Like, I'm all about, like, let's just hang out and be together. Like, I love it. And I found myself so, like, done that I walked in there, and it wasn't bad. It was good. It was really light conversation. But even as I was in the room, I was backing towards the door, kind of waiting to get out of it. And I was like, wow, that's not me. <laughs> so that's not good. Maybe Lindsay had something. And, and and I remember being like, I just don't have anything to give. And this is just a tough day, and I had a youth group that night, which wasn't going to be good either, uh, but the next thing I had in my day was another meeting, and this meeting was with our young adults leader, who's Kira, by the way, pretty awesome person. Don't know if you met her. She's right back there. Um, so I had that meeting, and I felt bad going into the meeting realizing I didn't have much to give, and she was going to talk to me about content and direction, and, and it was one of those moments where I needed to like, lead well and be there and be present, and I didn't know if I could. And so I walked in that. Meeting. I'd like to tell you I prayed first, like a good pastor should, and you know. Like and then got, but I wasn't even at a capacity to do that. I just walked into, the meeting. <laughs> and so I walked in and I went into that meeting and, and it was so good. Not only did I have the capacity to, to share and encourage and give direct. You can ask her later if that's true. Maybe it was terrible, and I'm just thinking this. Um, give direction, but I was sitting in that meeting and life was being rebreathed into me. And I got to the point to where youth group was coming that night and I didn't have to go into it faking it, which I had to in the office earlier, right? Like, like I, I had joy and it was just such a good meet. Not only did I have scarcity, didn't even know if I can make it through a meeting or be in a conversation, but I had that and I gave something and I received something and it was just so good. And God took scarcity and he made abundance out of it. And the thing, I don't know if you know this about student ministry, you don't get to fake it till you make it. The moment you're faking it with students, they got you. They know, and you can't do it. You don't get to walk in and just pretend like everything's fine because they'll see through it. So it was such a blessing. But Thursday came, and Thursday morning I I set aside for this, for this passage, and and I was prepping. And and I went into the office, and uh, another thing, I'm kind of a little bit of an early riser, but like I got up early, and it was so much worse. It was so bad, and I felt so heavy, and... And all of those things and difficult and empty and detached. And, and I was writing this down in my notes as I was thinking about this to say. And then I realized I'm writing a bunch of words to not write the word depression. Like, right? I'm writing a bunch of words to not write that I felt depressed. Because culturally, like, depression's like a big deal, right? Like, and especially being raised by my grandpa who I never saw cry like my entire, you know, he was just like rough dude, got stuff done. I realize that there's these weaknesses in me, these tendencies to push things down, to hide, to not allow depression or sadness or anxiety equals weakness. I know that's not true, but I function in that still, right? And the reason I'm saying this to you guys, the reason that I'm sharing this story with you is the disciples were here too. What I don't want you to hear is that when I say there's this way of living that's prideful and proving yourself and worrying or this way of living of faith and hope, What I'm not trying to say to you guys is you need to get to this side, and it's static. What I'm saying is we weave back and forth. We're in a tough world. And I found myself there, and finally, after a week of feeling this, because it took me that long to get the guts to do this, I text Grant and Melody. Sorry, it was like 6 o'clock in the morning, so I apologize. Um, But I, I just, I was like, I need to text, and I texted them. And they responded, and they prayed for me. And Melody responded on the side. She's like, so do you need coffee? What do you, need? you want? She's just so hospitable. She's like, I'll get you food, whatever you need. Like, so she like was saying those things. And that day was so much better. I got to prep. My mind felt clear. And I'm not over-spiritualizing it and just say, if you pray, everything's going to be fine. But man, it makes a difference. And when I pull back in my mind, when I'm going through rough waters, when things are difficult and I find myself in worry mode or prove it mode... I can look back and instead of saying like, I need to just be stronger like I got from my childhood, I can look back and say, no, God's got this. Remember that week you had nothing to give? He had it. And it took leaning on some other people. It took sharing my burden. It took being a part of a community. It took knowing I even had that there for that to work. And Jesus wraps up with this. And he said to them, do you not yet? understand do you not yet understand the first time i read this i read it as an exhausted or frustrated jesus saying don't you understand yet and after study and after thinking through and after reading it and reading commentaries and other things i think it was more along the lines of like do you not yet understand it's not about all these things. It's not about the bread. It's not about knowing the right things. Our faith isn't about doctrine and theology and all these things and having it down and being perfect and, and being in a trajectory towards Jesus that never has a hiccup. The, the, the statement that he's making is, do you not understand? I got you. That when you say, when we ask the question, do You want to know Jesus or do you want to be right? It's it's not a right or wrong question. It's, It's clarifying with us. Where are we? Because when we want to know Jesus, it's okay for us to be wrong sometimes. How free of a life is it to be a life where I don't feel like I need to prove myself all the time? where I can trust some of my life like my wife and my family and my ministry to a God that has proven himself over and over and over again. But we can't do that if we don't utilize these tools, these tools of sight, these tools of hearing, these tools of remembering. These aren't small things and they're practices that we need all together to go through a day and be like, God, are you here right now? Maybe not in the big moments, maybe just in a normal moment. And then capture that. Because we'll need it. Do you not understand? What he's saying is, do you not understand that I am with you, that there's something bigger here? And and if you guys could grab your communion stuff, you can get that ready. We're going to enter right into a time of communion. And with this, he's saying to the disciples, not that you've messed up, not that you're getting it wrong all the time, or how dumb are you? Look at all this stuff that I've done. What he's saying is, guys, there's a way of living and it will be a constant battle. And your default, and I think this is for us too, this is something that translates. Your default is gonna be trying to prove yourself. You might have a tendency to, pro- to try to just grit your teeth through it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever it is, and just put your head down and get it done and do it. Those aren't bad things, but you can't sustain it forever. Or maybe you worry and you have anxiety or you have anything like that and and you get distracted by the day and it's hard for you to see Jesus, one of the things that was a huge blessing to me is our lead pastor, Grant, being brave enough to do that that series at the end of our Connect series to share about, about mental health. The person who's leading this church is sharing about a true, honest struggle with mental health. And the thing that that's saying, one thing that that's doing, whether you know it or not, is it's freeing everyone here to say, wait, if a pastor doesn't have to always be like perfect, like, maybe it's okay that I struggle. Maybe my worry doesn't indict me in my faith. Maybe God's bigger than these things. And it's a beautiful thing. It's leading by example. But none of the things I said, none of the Connect series, none of this series that we go through is made possible without what we celebrate when we take communion. Communion, Jesus sat with his disciples at the last supper and he took the bread. And when he took the bread, he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body broken for you. What he's saying is that there is a price that has to be paid, not for your salvation, not just so when, you know, the bell rings and you go up to heaven, you you got a place to go, right? You made it in the right side. Not that. Not so you're on the right side of eternity. His body was broken for the ultimate act of redemption, to redeem the chasm, the separation between God and his people, not just for eternity, but for now but that takes effort. That takes seeing with our eyes, hearing with our heart, remembering in our minds, grasping to things of God and not things of this world. And that takes the support of you guys that are in the chairs next to each other because there's been a lot of times where I couldn't see with my eyes very well and I couldn't hear with my ears and it was hard for me to remember anything good. And it took other people coming in and saying, Josh, like I'm here. God's here. You got this. It's okay. And we need that and he broke the bread and he said this is my body broken for you let's take the bread together and then at the end of his of their meal he took the cup and he said this cup represents the new covenant and what i mean by the new covenant this is important not just a ticket out of hell not just a fix for the problems and your sins that happened in the past, a new covenant, a new reality that you get to experience God in a way that wasn't possible prior to Jesus doing this. That this cup represents a new covenant poured out in my blood. Let's take the cup together. God, we come before you as broken people. Lord, I pray for everyone that was hearing this, everyone that struggles with the desire to, to control what's going on in their life, that struggles with the desire of feeling overwhelmed by a day, by tasks, by, by pain, by suffering, whatever it is, Lord, that you, uh, that you would just meet them where they are. Lord, that when they would hear your words, it would not be words of condemnation. It would not be words clarifying what they fear most, that they, that they are simply on the outs. Lord, but that they would hear your words as those words of redemption, words that draw them closer to you. We just took communion, proclaiming the reality of what you've done, that you have defeated death, that you have defeated sin on our behalf, not just to fix us, but to have a relationship with us. So God, I pray that peace over everyone here, Lord, that people would be free to not have it figured out yet, that people would be free to be in process, that they're allowed to struggle with the normal things that they go through, but that they would also know that they're not alone, that you are with them, that God has blessed them with a community of people to affirm in them, to love them, to be tangible representations of himself so that they won't have to figure all this out alone. So we thank you for what you've blessed us with. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you that ultimately what we're learning, what we're hearing is about you and your relationship with us and not about how we fall short. Let me give these things to you in your name. Amen. We're going to... um... Uh, We are going to do exactly what Josh just said. We are going to pray over you because this is your community. This is a tangible thing we can do. We are going to say to you, it's okay that you don't have it all together. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to not have it day by day. One day you do, one day you don't. So we are going to do that very thing that you just said right
2: now. Father, Lord, I thank you that you give us brothers and sisters. We know we've not even seen probably the smallest part of what you intend for that to look like, but we want to do it. We want to live it. Lord, we thank you for our brother, Josh. We thank you for the the ways you speak through him. You called him here. We know there are powers that are very unhappy about Josh's ministry. We don't claim to know all of that, but we know that when you call people and they step up, it can be a real challenge and a struggle. So Lord, we affirm our love for Josh and his family. We celebrate the ways you use him to minister to us. And we pray, Lord, for the deepest of joy in your Holy Spirit for Josh, that you continue to direct his steps, direct our steps, and may we walk in step with one another and with your spirit. Help us not to fake it. And when we do it, Lord, help us to see it. Call it out and lovingly. Invite one another to something truer. Thank you, Lord, that you bring abundance out of scarcity. And Lord, that you delight to use weakness to demonstrate your power. Thank you that we have heard your word today. Thank you for your servant, Josh. Knit our hearts together, Lord, as your children, as your family. Thank you that we can simply come with simple words or a place of a lack of power, a lack of perfection, a lack of having it all together. And you hear us, Lord, and you respond. Thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.